Hand clap. God is so good, and gosh, you made it on time. I'm proud of you for setting up your clocks, amen? I did see some people wearing pajamas, but I found out that's something to do across the street. It wasn't that you were late and forgot, okay? So I will give you the benefit of the doubt there. Well, we're still in our sermon series today. Um, first of all, I want to just welcome you all to uh, Victory Church. Uh, in fact, turn to your neighbor and just say, hey. Just greet them. You just say, hey. You've probably already done that. Let me ask you as we get started, how many of you have ever really wanted to do something? You really wanted to do it with all of your heart, but you found out pretty quickly that it just wasn't your niche. Well, my son Austin, he wants to sing so bad. He really does. <laughs> he wants to sing so bad, and when he tells people that, they say, well, do you sing like your dad or do you sing like your mom? And let me just say, uh, Cheryl sings a whole lot like her mom and her sisters, and if you've ever sat beside them in church, uh, you kind of know how to take that, Amen. And I did get Austin's permission to, to tell this story, so don't start feeling too sorry for him, amen? But whenever I'm at home, I sing around the house all the time. I do. And sometimes, from another room, I'll hear this out-of-tune, squeaky voice singing right along with me. It's Austin. He loves it. And he actually helps on our worship team by not singing. He does. Actually, he's up in our sound booth uh, during rehearsals and during Sunday service doing the more technical stuff that I wouldn't have a clue to do. Uh, but uh, we took a video one night, like a Thursday night sometimes. He's up there singing with all of his heart while we're down here rehearsing. So anyway, we've got a little video. I want you to take a look to verify what I'm saying. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yep, I was right. Sings just like his mama. <laughs> and I did get permission from him to do that video too. So, uh, but what my point is today, Austin can imitate a singer. He can imitate a singer. He just has a little problem being a singer. He can imitate a singer, but a little problem being a singer, he's having a little problem getting the tone right, I'll say. You might say, well, what does that have to do with the message this morning? Well, we've been walking our way through the New Testament book of Ephesians, uh, which is more of a letter than it is a book, actually. Paul the Apostle wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, God's people, trying to encourage them. And even though he was writing it from a prison cell, he's trying to encourage God's people. He wants to let God's people know that God is for them, and God want th wants them to be winners. Let me just tell you this morning, if you don't realize that yet, God is for you. God wants you to be a winner. And the truth is, God has a very favorable disposition towards you and me, and it's not because we deserve it. It's not because of anything that we have done. It's because of what His Son Jesus has done for us. Amen? Think about that. God wants you to overcome. He wants you to experience joy and contentment on a level you've never experienced it before. 
So it's important for you to understand where I'm going with this this morning, because if you don't, then when you read Ephesians chapter 5, you're going to get it all wrong. And I would encourage you all to go home and read Ephesians chapter 5. But most of, most of the time, that's what happens anyway, is because we get the wrong perception of God, we get the tone wrong. We might hear the words, but we get the tone wrong. And Paul's going to say some very direct and to-the-point things in chapter 5. If you remember what I said on the first session of our series, uh, the book of Ephesians is a small book. It's only six chapters long. The first three chapters are about theology. The second uh, three chapters are about application. So it's really Paul saying, this is how you should live your life in light of what you know about God. So he's going to say some pretty direct things, but if you don't get the tone right, you're going to receive it all wrong. Today we're going to be talking about our spiritual walk, and not just our spiritual walk, we're going to be talking about imitating God in our spiritual walk. You know, I say that our walk sometimes, and some people don't understand it, when I'm referring to our spiritual walk, I'm just referring to our relationship with Christ. It's a description of our faith walk with Him, our journey through life with Him. So whatever you want to call it as a walk, this is what Jesus is inviting each one of us into. And part of the reason for that is in the first century church, the way that you would learn was from your rabbi. It wasn't so much a classroom setting, it was from learning from him direct, spending time with your rabbi. It was listening to your rabbi, it was living and walking with your rabbi. And with that said, that's what Jesus is inviting us into as believers and followers of Christ. And Paul says, as we walk with Jesus, there's no doubt there are going to be some times. There are going to be some things that show up in our lives that try to trip us up. Amen? I mean, that's reality, right? Every day we have things that come across our paths that try to trip us up. I mean, there are times that we're going to turn an ankle, pull a hamstring, spiritually speaking. There are times when some of us are going to feel like we're being pushed down by others, pushed down by the world, and it feels like we're being held down with our foot on our neck. Some of us fall because of our sin, our own sin. And Paul says, I just want you to be aware of some things that you're going to encounter, no matter who you are, how spiritual you are, you're going to encounter that are going to try to trip you up. So Paul is trying to help us in today's world, I believe, to stay upright in a world that totally seems upside down. Amen? Sometimes this world seems like it's gone topsy-turvy. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says this. He starts off saying, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, not in a few things, but in everything you do, because you are his dear children. That word imitate uh, is the Greek word for mimic. What do we do when we mimic someone? We act out what they're doing, right? We imitate them. We follow their lead. We try to copy their actions. And do you realize that imitation is probably one of the best ways to learn? I mean, think, think about that. It's one of the best ways to learn. If you want to learn a new skill... The best way to do it is to find someone that has mastered that skill and go to them. Let them be your example and try to imitate them. Well, with that said, all Paul is saying is that Jesus is the perfect model for us to follow. Jesus is the model of all models, the example of all examples to follow. And Jesus said this, if you remember this scripture, he said, if you have seen me, then you have seen God the Father. Jesus is one with God the Father. So Paul is just saying, imitate Jesus in everything that you do. Jesus was good, we need to be good, amen? Jesus was kind, we need to be kind. Jesus was fair and just, we need to be fair and just. Jesus was full of grace, 
You and I need to be full of grace toward others. All he's saying is imitate God. But how do we do that? Well, he helps us out in verse 2. He says, live a life filled with love. Sounds pretty simple. Live a life filled with love. That's hard to do. Because so many times we want to cherry pick how we love, when we love, how we go about it. He says, live a life filled with love, following the example of who? Of Christ. So he says, you're just supposed to love like Jesus loves, and then he tells us how Jesus loves. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, which is then, he says, a pleasing aroma to God. Paul is simply saying we are to love like Jesus loves. In other words, our lives, our attitudes, our actions, even our reactions are supposed to be just like his, just like Christ. Our lives should actually be saturated with the love of Christ. And that's a process. You don't start out that way, but it's a building process. And Paul says when you do it, you're actually giving God a fragrant offering. You realize it's a fragrant offering to God when we do that? And most of the time when it comes to loving other people, we go along with it and we'll say, well, I know I'm supposed to love them and I will love them as long as I think they deserve that love. Amen? I will love them as long as they're treating people right, as long as they're treating uh, me right, then I'll extend my love. Well, Paul says, well, that's great, but do that up to that point, but then go beyond that point. Love them even though they don't deserve to be loved. He says that's exactly when you know you're loving like Jesus loves, when you go beyond that moment. When you love someone, regardless of whether they deserve it or not, you determine in your heart, and as you become more like Christ, I'm going to love them like Jesus loves them. And it's so hard to do. We as people, we can get it up here in our heads, but it's so hard to get it down into our hearts and actually to exercise that. Uh, one time I remember I was up in Champaign-Urbana and I turned down a street and I turned the wrong way and I was going down a one-way street the wrong way and all of a sudden, and there was a lot of traffic on this street, all of a sudden people were losing their dang minds. I mean, they were. They were honking and it wasn't just a toot-toot. I mean, it was laying on the horn type of thing and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry as I'm dodging traffic. Um, they were upset. And they had good reason to be upset, but they were upset, losing their minds, honking at me. And then this one guy gives a big honk, and then he gives me the, uh, hey, you're number one sign, you know, the number one finger. And I thought, well, that's nice of him to say that I'm number one in this circumstance. But, but anyway, I thought, well, maybe I should reciprocate that and give him two back. I didn't know. I wouldn't do that. And it's mainly because I thought, well, he might come to this church. I don't know. <laughs> and then I thought, no. Nobody in Victory Church ever does that. That's just the other churches, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is the truth is most of us can be forgiving up to a point, right? We can forgive up to a point, but it's when you go beyond that point that Paul is saying, hey, it's like a sweet aroma to God. Do you realize, according to what I've read so far, we are to love people regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Because Jesus has loved you and me, whether we deserve it or not, and I'll just let you in on a secret, we've never deserved it. Amen? Think about Judas when he betrayed Jesus. How did Judas repay Jesus' loving service that night in the upper room when Jesus washed Judas' feet? I'll tell you how. Judas used his newly cleaned feet to walk out of that room and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The kicker is Jesus knew 
Judas was going to betray, betray him. He washed his feet anyway. Jesus knew he was going to betray him. He loved him anyway. Jesus knew that he was uh, going to be mocked and rejected by the very people that he was soon going to die for. Yet he showed them his love by dying for them. Showed his love by going to the cross for them. And then as he hung there, probably the greatest act of all, besides his dying, was he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, I believe all of that should teach us a lesson, that that's how we are to, we are to love. That's the example we are to follow. That's the kind of love that we are to walk in. And in our text today, Paul brings out a few ways that we can imitate God. And if you're taking uh, notes this morning, the first way is in our relationships. Verse 3, look what it says. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. I'd say it's almost like Paul had a clear picture of what America is like today. Amen? I heard one minister say one time that uh, America has two religions, Christianity and the religion of sex. And apparently it wasn't much different 2,000 years ago in Ephesus. Because if you read about Ephesus, they were a very corrupt city. Sexual morality was non-existent. Uh, the dominant religion was worshiping the goddess Diana, who was the goddess of fertility. They practiced ritual prostitution, and get this, even in the temple. So what I'm saying, it was basically a morally bankrupt society. And all Paul is telling his people is, hey, don't follow society. Don't follow your culture. He said the city, your city, your world, your culture might be telling you to do it. The Word of God says don't do it. The Word of God says to avoid it. You know, I'm surprised so many times when I hear people say, you know, God just wants me to be happy. You know, He's such a loving God that He just wants me to be happy. I'd have to disagree with you. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Not necessarily happy. He wants you to be holy. Look what 1 Peter 1.16 says. This is God speaking. Be holy because I am holy. And let me just make you a promise. If you make holiness a priority in your life, God's going to do you a whole lot better than happy. Do you know happy is just a momentary emotion? It can be gone in a couple of minutes. But God can give you joy. Joy, that's a whole lot different. You can be in a bad, bad way, in the middle of a horrible situation, circumstance, and you can have joy. And why? Because you know Jesus. You can have joy because you know Jesus is with you through that bad, bad situation. So once again, Paul is just throwing out a warning. He's warning of some things that can trip us up in life, and he's saying sexual immorality and greed are two of the big ones. And I would say that they're probably the root cause of a lot of problems in a lot of our lives out there today. He's just saying as God's people, keep an eye on these areas of your life. And what I think we need to understand is this gift of physical intimacy, uh, spelled S-E-X, you might say, is a gift that God gives to us. It's a gift that God has given to us. Oh, what's our society say about it? Our society says that physical intimacy is just like another biological urge that we have to fulfill. If you get hungry, you're supposed to go eat, right? If you have a biological urge for physical intimacy, go out with whoever or whenever and fulfill it. I mean, that's the way our world thinks. And yet God says, no, that's not my plan. That's not my design at all. He says, I put some parameters around this gift that I've given to you. And it's not because God is old-fashioned. 
It's not because God says that sex is twisted and perverted and all of that stuff. No, it's because it's God's idea. And honestly, I don't think we give him enough credit for that. Amen? We don't. And I know the world has perverted what God created to be beautiful. But physical intimacy is something that God himself thought up in the first place. And I know it's weird for some of you, probably some of you are squirming today that I'm talking about this, because I don't talk about this a whole lot. But it is God's idea. But he puts it in a parameter. He puts it in the parameters of marriage. Not to hinder us, not to punish us, but to protect us. Amen? Think about it. But did you notice that Paul in the Scripture, he doesn't throw out a bunch of examples of horrendous sins, prostitution. He doesn't throw out a bunch of glaring uh, examples of sexual sins. He just says hints, hints of sins. Verse 3, again, he says, if we walk in God's shoes, he said anything you do or say won't even have a hint of sexual sin. Now let's get honest. How many of you have crossed that hint line? How many of you have crossed that sexual hint line? The hint line. There's a hint line. Hint, H-I-N-T. <laughs> now, how many of you have literally done that? I know you have, because we as people, we want to know exactly how close we can get to that hint line without going across, right? We'll go right up to the edge. And then what we do, we start looking for loopholes. And we look at whatever it takes to say and make us feel better that we're still obeying the rules. Long story short, God is saying, honor God with your bodies. Honor your future spouses. Honor your present spouses by staying clear, steering clear of sexual immorality. I believe he's saying, don't go there in the first place. Don't go there in the first place because believe me, you won't stay there. It's a progression in the wrong direction. Because a hint becomes an action. An action becomes a habit. A habit becomes a destiny. It's just a progression of a downward spiral in the wrong direction. And some of you maybe have said, well, he's talked about this long enough now. I'm a little uncomfortable. Well, I'm going to move on, but I'm staying right where I was. He also talks about greed in the same sentence. You might say, well, why is he throwing sex and greed in the same sentence? I think he's just saying, as Paul, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Amen? I think he is. Many Christians will gladly denounce sexual sin... But so many of us are totally silent when it comes to greed. I think our culture makes the mistake of not even calling greed a sin. God calls greed uh, a sin. We stay silent about that. Whether it's lust for sex, whether it's greed for possessions, do you realize all greed is sin? All greed is sin mainly because it allows something else or lots of something else's to order your life. When God is the one that wants to order and structure your life, that's idolatry. So Paul, again, is just saying when you're walking with God, be careful. Don't get tripped up because you really honestly can't say you're fully surrendered to God if you're out there pursuing, uh, pursuing sin. You can't say that I'm honestly surrendered to Jesus if we're still pursuing those things that put Jesus on the cross. And I'm not saying that you won't be tempted. We know that's not true. Every day we are tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. We're going to be tempted. Every single one of us are going to struggle with some situations. And I'm not saying you're not going to fall, but I am saying this when you do fall, because you will. When you do fall, fall toward Jesus instead of away from him. Amen? Fall toward him instead of away from him. And when you stumble, get back up. Get back up and go again. That's what Paul is saying. Get up and keep walking. 
but keep walking toward Jesus, not away from him, even when you stumble and fall. I believe Jesus is telling us that I'm here for you when you stumble and fall. He knows you and I are going to stumble and fall, but he's there with open arms, ready to forgive us. The second way, if you're taking notes of mimicking God, is in our speech. Point number two, an imitator of God has loving speech. Look at verse four. He says, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. He says, instead of those first things I mentioned, he said, have a heart full of thanksgiving. Do you realize the Bible says there is a direct pipeline between our heart and our tongue? So let me ask you this morning, how are you going to use your words? To bless people or curse them? How are you going to use your words? To lift them up or to tear them down? And the Bible also makes it pretty clear that he throws gossip and slander into the same boat. Do you realize you and I can be absolutely, totally obscene without even ever saying the first curse word by just spreading a little bit of gossip, a little bit of slandering of someone? I mean, how many of you have ever been in a prayer service and a prayer gossip walks in? I mean, they've got some information, okay, some scoop that isn't theirs really to share or tell, but somehow they find a way to tell it in the premise of prayer. It's like, let's join hands and pray for sister, sinner, so-and-so, and she is out there doing this and that and the other, and she doesn't say this or that or the other. It gives you a play-by-play detail. Let me just say, that's, tell you, that's not what prayer's to be about. That's not how we're used to use the privilege of prayer. But I will agree to say this, when we walk in love, we won't have the same kind of speech that the world has. James has some pretty harsh words to say about our tongue and the words that we say. James 3.8, he calls the tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison. Those are some pretty serious words about our tongue. I think that tells us how serious we should take our speech, the words that we say about others. The Bible even says that the power of death and life is in the tongue, so they're powerful. So my big question to follow that up, is your speech building people up or is it tearing people down? Look at verse 5. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, he says such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, he says in verse 7, do not be partners with them. Paul is saying if you look around you, he's warning us, if you look around you and you see all of this going on, he says don't have any part with it. Don't have any part of it. He says, walk the other way. Turn from it, walk away from it in order to walk in love. You can't be walking in immorality. In order to walk in in love, you can't be walking in selfishness and greed. And again, did you notice the list of sins that Paul throws out there? It's not all that exhaustive. He names a few. And I think it's mainly because he's listing those sins that commonly trip us up, commonly cause us problems, take us off course. So what do we do? Paul tells us in the third way to imitate God. An imitator of God walks in light. Do you realize we are to walk in light? Look look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Paul doesn't say that believers in Christ once lived in darkness. He uses some pretty strong language, stronger language. He says, before you became believers in Christ, you didn't just walk in darkness, you were darkness. 
We were actually part of that problem. I don't know about you, but I hate cleaning windows. I do. I'm probably the worst window cleaner ever. I could never get a job as a window cleaner. I'll use a whole bottle of Windex or a whole roll of paper towels just to clean my windshield. And I'm out in the garage cleaning my windshield, and I think I've got every speck of dirt off of it, every streak, every smudge, and it looks spotless. Then I pull it out of the garage. And when that sunlight hits it, I'm the worst window cleaner in the world. I mean, every smudge shows up, every streak shows up. And there's a spiritual point to that. Because it's just that way in our lives. When we walk in the light of God, He exposes things. Do you realize that? When we walk in the light of Jesus Christ, He exposes some dirt in our lives. In fact, um, it says in John 16, verse 8, uh, Jesus told His disciples that the Holy Spirit's job was to convict the world of sin, to show some dirt, to convict the world of sin and to help us know when we're doing right or when we're, we're doing wrong. He says in that scripture, our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when that Holy Spirit moves in to your life to take up residence in your life, He comes in and He shines His light of righteousness around in your life and He starts exposing the sin, the dark places, the dirt in your life. He's saying that our sinful actions and attitudes are going to be exposed. And I don't care how hard you try to clean it up yourself. You can't do it on your own. Amen? His power and His presence actually helps us to see the hints. Even the hints of sexual immorality and the greed in our lives. And guess what? He doesn't do this to condemn you and me. That's not our God. He does it so that we'll see it and we'll repent of it so that we can do a better job of imitating Him. He does it for a good purpose, for a good reason, and it's all motivated out of love. It may not be pleasant, it may hurt, but it's all motivated out of love. God doesn't want us to walk in sin. He wants us to walk in Him. But how do we do that? Verse 15. So be careful how you live. You know, we have a part to play. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. And then he finishes it up by saying, instead, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do people go to alcohol? Uh, it's kind of for the happy hour effect, amen? I mean, people may go to alcohol, turn to alcohol because they've got stress in their life, they've got fear in their life, they've got doubt in their life, they've got hurt in their life, they've got loneliness, they've got depression in their life, whatever it might be. And they're hoping that that will lift the burden. And guess what? It does for the moment. But then you wake up the next day and the reality of life is right there hitting you in the face. Let me just say this. Alcohol cannot carry your burdens like the Holy Spirit. Drugs cannot carry your burdens like the Holy Spirit. Pornography cannot carry you like the Holy Spirit. It only provides an escape for maybe a few hours, maybe even a few minutes. So back to the scripture, he commands us not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're drunk with wine, wine has the last say. When you're drunk with wine, wine is taking control of your senses. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, all of a sudden it's God controlling your senses. All of a sudden it's God controlling your life. And if you look at that term, to be filled, that means something that should be continuous and ongoing. It's a process. 
It could be translated, be being filled. As you live your life, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like we all had to put gasoline in our tanks, in our cars, it's not a once and done thing, it's a continual thing. And with God in our spirits, it's a daily walk with Him. But when it comes down to sin, sin is having no regard for Christ. It's just thinking about yourself. And have you ever thought about that little word sin? Have you thought about the middle letter in that word sin? It's I. You know, when we're out there sinning, it's all about I. It's all about me. It's my life. It's my body. It's my mind. And I'm going to fill it with greed. They're my nights. I'm going to fill them with pleasure. God says to love, I'm going to choose to hate. God says to forgive, I'm going to choose to get even. God says to show self-control, I'm going to show a lot of self-indulgence. And many times we do the opposite of what God is asking us to do. So when you sin, the reality is it might quench your thirst for a moment. But do you realize salt water does too? But the more you drink salt water, the thirstier you are going to get. So the more you stay in your sin, it's pretty simple, the more you're going to sin. And the more you're going to separate yourself from a relationship with God. I love Max Lucado, an awesome minister. He's written several books, but in one of his books he said, The plague of sin will not cross his shores. Talking about God's shores. Infected souls will never walk his streets. So a word of advice is that every time you get a chance to pick up your word, pick up God's word, you ought to pick it up. And you ought to read it. Because if you want to truly walk and live in the Spirit, you need to get that Word of God in you. Amen? Because it's a living Word. It's a spiritual Word that God wants to get into our hearts. And the key to victory over sin is not self-punishment. You know, we condemn ourselves a lot when we fall short and we sin. It's not self-punishment. It's not going out there and getting the latest and greatest self-help books. If you want to walk in victory, and if you want to have power over sin in your life, you need to walk in the Spirit. If you want to live a holy life, you need to walk in the Spirit. But you can't do that on your own. I can't do it on my own. It takes the power of God working in your life. Amen? We're not strong enough. We're not even able. And God didn't even design it to be uh, that way. He knows we need His help. There's a story of a lady who had a small house on the shores of Ireland back at the turn of the century. She was a very wealthy lady, but a very frugal lady. And so all of her neighbors were shocked when she decided she'd be one of the first at that time to put electricity into her home. So about three weeks after the installation, the the meter reader came by and he said, well, how's your power doing? She said, oh, it's doing great. He said, can I ask you? He said, "Uh, uh, something puzzles me. He says, "Uh, your meter doesn't show any usage at all. He said, are you using your power? She said, sure I am. She said, every night when the sun goes down, she says, I turn on the lights long enough for me to light my candles, and then I turn them out. (laughs) There's a point to this. Think about it. She was tapped into the power, but she wasn't using it. Her house was connected, but it wasn't altered. Do you know it's a thing called sin that hinders the Holy Spirit from moving into your life and living in your life the way He wants to live in your life, being in your life the way He wants to be in your life? It's a little thing called sin. But it's a bigger thing called obedience that helps you keep the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? Obedience will keep the Holy Spirit going strong in your life. So next time you sin, God's made it clear all we have to do is go to Him and repent. Confess it before Him. Ask Him to renew our commitment so that, again, we can be Spirit-led and we can be Spirit-filled. 
So with all that said, for every one of us in this room, I just want you to search your hearts for a moment. Maybe it's a moment to take the time to ask God to reveal anything that's going on in your life that shouldn't be going on in your life. Anything in your life that maybe you have been kind of ignoring that's sin. I'm talking about sin this morning. And if there's a sin that you keep struggling with day after day after day, by now you should realize you're not going to conquer this thing by yourself. Amen? Call upon God. First of all, repent. Ask Him to forgive you. And then ask Him to move in with the power of His Holy Spirit and change your heart. Change your heart toward that thing that is pulling you back into that sin. You realize God is a prayer-answering God. God loves to answer prayer. In fact, look what it says in Luke chapter 11, verse 10. For everyone, that means everyone, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. So let me ask you today, spiritually, do you feel spiritually dry in your life? Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you worn out of struggling with that same old sin day after day? The same sin that Jesus paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago? Do you feel like your spiritual life is hollow this morning? Do you feel like it? maybe it's empty? Maybe you feel like you don't have the relationship and the walk with Him that you once had in your life. Well, let me tell you, God wants to restore that this morning. God wants to restore that this moment. In John 7, Jesus stood up at a feast and He cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So here's his command to all of us today. No matter who we are, where we are in our walk, go to Christ. Come to Christ. And don't just come to Christ, but take a drink. Fill yourself up with him because he says when you do, he'll fill us up with him. And you don't have to pay for it. He paid the price. It's free. You don't have to earn it. He gives his grace. He's full of grace. You don't have to perform. He doesn't want us to perform anyway. He's not impressed by our performance. He's impressed by one thing, what Jesus Christ did for you and me on the cross. But have you gone to him? We still have that part to do. You have to go to him. I have to go to him. And then it doesn't even stop there. He says, then you have to take a drink. But then he makes a promise. When you do, I'll flood over you with my living waters. Living waters, that means waters of life. Every one of us in this room needs more waters of his life flowing over us and in and through our lives. Every one of us. And God wants to pour out those living waters upon our life. He wants to break those chains in your life. He wants to set you free. He wants to get you on a path that's not full of regret, but it's full of promise, full of hope, full of courage. Encourage and faith in a God that says, I know you messed up, but our God says it's okay. I've got better plans ahead of you. Will you come to Jesus today and in obedience? Right where you're at, I'm going to have you stand to your feet if you would. Right where you're at, I just want you to say, God, I'm thirsty. Jesus, I need a drink of those living waters. Why would you put it off another second? Why would you put it off another moment? So in your hearts, I just want you to be saying those words. If you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you to say those words. God, I need you. I need more of you. I want to take a big drink of your son, Jesus Christ, today. I want to walk with you like I've never walked with you. And I want to 
imitate you like I've never imitated you before. With every head bowed, every eye closed, Father God, we come to you today. I pray that there would be some here in this place today that would need exactly what I've talked about today in their lives from Ephesians chapter 5. Father, help us to get our priorities in order. Not our order, but in your order. Help us to focus. Help us to follow. Help us to focus and follow you. And I pray that you would help us in our walk to put one foot in front of the other, to grow stronger in that walk. And when we get tripped up, God, I pray you'd give us the strength and the courage to get back up by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, there's so much in this world that tries to trip us each and every day. We want to stay upright. We want to give you glory, praise, and honor with our lives today and forever. God, help us keep walking towards you like we've never walked toward you before. Give us the strength to do that each and every day, and we pray that you would meet us right now in this place, that you would do a work in us. Lord, help us to imitate you in the way that we live every day of our lives, and I pray that we would follow you as we never followed you before. Lead us down the right path today and forever. And let it all be about you, Lord God. Let it all be about giving you praise, glory, and honor. Let it all be about imitating and reflecting the God that loves us so much that he went to the cross. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness in this service. I thank you, Lord God, for giving us kind of a a check in our spirits this morning. That, Lord, you have a better way for all of us to walk. And that's perfectly in your order and in your plan. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Go out and walk in him.